This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. G'day, you're listening to the Business Breakfast, the bite-sized business breakfast. Everything that Tom, Richard and myself have been up to, Tuesday the 28th of February. That includes looking at the Adnock Gas IPO, which has increased its allocation of shares by 20%. The IPO is bigger. We asked Robin Mills, CEO of Camar Energy, why. We've also been looking at some big industrial deals that have been signed between the UAE and a couple of other Arab nations, speaking to His Excellency Omar al Suwaidi, the Undersecretary from the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology. Air India and Emirates making headlines in India for a number of reasons. Tarun Shukla is an award-winning journalist and the aviation and defence editor at the Economic Times out of India. We've been getting his take. Oil heading for a fourth straight monthly drop as concerns about tighter monetary policy and swelling stockpiles uh, over in the US impact the market. A question and a concern that we put to Ed Bell this morning. He's the Senior Director, Market Economics, Emirates NBD. We asked Ed, so why is oil continuing to fall? Why is it falling? And what's the ENBD house view for 2023? Oil prices are trying to balance two competing narratives at the moment. The first is the reopening of China's economy, the you know the recovery in air travel and mobility across the country, increased demand for commodities, all of which should be pretty positive for oil prices. But balanced against that is the theme of higher interest rates from the U.S. as the inflation fight there is really not over. The prospect of higher rates means that the U.S. dollar has been rising this year, which weighs on oil and commodities more generally. Now, in terms of the fundamental picture, things are also pretty evenly balanced right now. We've had several weeks of inventory builds in the U.S., though it's really quite hard to narrow down where that oil has come from as production domestically has been basically flat and imports haven't really moved higher. So that would suggest that consumption is falling in the U.S. Uh, We're also getting more signs from OPEC countries that they won't be raising oil output anytime soon and that Russia itself is going to cut production in March. So that helps to tighten markets. So if we look uh, over the rest of the year, it does seem like we're going to have a fairly soft first quarter. But for the rest of 2023, we still expect to see that oil market balances are going to tighten and move into a deficit pretty substantially by the end of this year and help support prices getting back up to 90 to to $100 a barrel. Lord Bell there on the oil price at the moment and looking ahead for 2023. Adnock also making headlines uh, today. Uh, why? Explain to everyone, uh, Brandy, why Adnock uh, IPO is making headlines because we heard about this a couple of weeks ago. So what did we learn overnight that's changed? Uh, what happened yesterday was they changed the amount of shares that people can buy. So made it bigger. They made it bigger. Why? Uh, because there was over demand. It got covered almost instantly when uh, the shares went on sale. They do this to try and make it a bit fairer so that there is a bigger pie to be divided up amongst the investors that are buying in. Uh, Do you think, will they make it bigger again? Or is this it? I think you get one shot to increase the size of an IPO and they've they've had their shot at the Two would look like you didn't know what you were doing. Yes, that would be my sense. This is it. Yeah, but it's a biggie and it's a goodie. We heard from Robin Mills earlier on. You spoke to him. Uh, if you missed the interview, Robin Mills was live from Erbil in Iraq earlier on, energy expert. Just quickly for people who missed that interview, Brandy, what was the, the gist of what Robin had to say about this IPO? What Robin was saying was that it's a chance basically to buy into the UAE energy story and about as close to the, ov- ups- uh, to the upstream 
as you're kind of going to to get. These are the guys who process Adnox gas. The thing that also stuck out to me, if you're weighing it up as an investment opportunity, um, was the six and a half percent dividend. Not too shabby. Which they're also talking about. He was saying, you know, there are plans to to try and increase that. And so you kind of have to sit down and compare it with interest rates and what you would get in other investments, yields from property, etc. at the moment. Uh, you'll be able to hear that Robin Mills interview in full a little later on this morning right here on the show. If you can't hear it later on, you can hear it on the Bite Size Business Breakfast. So Robin Mills uh, will be uh, replayed a little later in proceedings. In the meantime, we've also been talking to Taryn Shukla. What have we been talking to Taryn about? So many aviation stories doing the rounds in India over the past 24 hours. It's just absolutely it, it, it's kicked off. So you've had two big kind of media events. One is from Mohammed Sahan, who is the Emirates boss in India. He's the vice president for India and Nepal, talking about a bunch of things like talking about a code share with Air India, talking about the fact that Emirates has only 66,000, or Emirates and Fly Dubai only have 66,000 seats a week to India, and they want to almost double that or increase it by uh, two thirds. Twas ever thus. But you've also had, so that, that's from the Emirates side, you've also had Campbell Wilson, Kiwi guy, who's the chief executive, relatively new, of Air India, doing the media rounds as well, talking about their expansion plans and talking about the fact that essentially they want to bypass Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Doha and just fly direct to the United States from India. So there's a lot going on. We'll hear from Taryn in a second, who's an aviation expert in India. First of all, let's hear from Campbell Wilson, CEO of Air India. This is him speaking over the past 24 hours about their ambitions for the Air India business under Tata. Hitherto, perhaps Air India was more of a leisure airline or, or, or a visiting friends and relatives airline. Uh, as India rise, rises up from uh, in the economic stakes as well as as a, a key node in, in international business, we will more and more carry business travellers, and so that non-stop service into all of the key business centres of the world is going to be a, a, a key. So selfishly, what does that mean for Emirates and Etihad? If suddenly Air, Air India is flying really nice planes with really good service from Delhi to New York rather than people stopping off in Dubai. Uh, let's hear what Taryn has to say about what that means for competition with the likes of Emirates. Actually, is a little bit of a worry for Emirates. They think that at least for the next one or two years, Air India will be sort of bogged down in terms of reinventing itself under Tata and Singapore Airlines. But in the long term, obviously, it will start playing out because Emirates has not been able to expand further in India. I was just looking at some data over the last like 15 years or so. Going back to 2005, the foreign airlines were around 70% of the Indian market share. And then we had these windfall rights which were given to Emirates and the likes uh, during 2005, 6, 7 onwards. And that became very controversial in India because the government auditor came up and said that Air India's interests were actually not taken care of and instead the government favoured Emirates during that time. And as a consequence, the windfall rights did not continue to pour in after that. So for the last 10 years or so, Emirates has not been able to get more rights out of India. Yeah, again, uh, we'll have an opportunity to listen back to that uh, interview in full a little later on this morning. Yeah, and I need to actually say when we're talking about dividends and the rest of it with Adnock Gas, A, we're not offering any investment advice and B, what the dividend comes in at will actually depend on a number of things for Adnock Gas, including its earnings and including um, what it uh, ends up being valued at. The price has not yet been set for the IPO. This 
This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. All right, speaking of energy, we're crossing uh, to an energy expert now, live from Iraq. We are speaking to Robin Mills, the CEO of Kama Energy, about the news this morning, our top news story, that Adnot Gas has increased the size of its IPO by 20% to 5% of its shares for that unit. Robin, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, good morning, everyone. Do you want to tell us exactly where you are before we dig into what's happening at Adnot Gas? That's right, yes. I'm in uh, Erbil in, uh, in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Well, thank you very much for making the effort to be with us. Let's look at what's happening um, with uh, Adnoc Gas. Oversubscription in a UAE IPO is nothing new, but this was covered particularly quickly. What are you taking from that? Well, look, I think, you know, as you say, we've seen quite a few IPOs recently in, in the Gulf and particularly in the UAE. A lot of them energy-focused companies, and there's been a lot of interest in them. Um, there's a lot of liquidity around, the economy is doing well, and these IPOs are seen as attractively priced, strategic, uh, a lot of investor interest. And this one particularly, you know, Adnoc Gas is a very big, uh, the, actually the biggest of the recent IPOs, uh, and, and a very strategic company, and, uh, and the huge interest, so they've increased the, the size of the allocation. Right, I'm going to get you to put some of that in context for us. Just how big is this IPO compared to other energy offerings and IPOs that we've seen? Yeah, so Adnoc uh, Gas will be valued at about slightly over $50 billion. Um, that makes it the, the, the biggest by value of, of the recent IPOs. Um, I mean, the only one that was bigger was, was uh, Saudi Aramco, which was you know, a few years ago. Um, and that is about the size of, let's say, Occidental or, or E&I, you know, two big international oil companies. So it's clearly even on international scale, it's, uh, it's, it's a big offering. Size apart, though, why is this offering so important? What does it allow investors to buy into? So Adnoc Gas is the kind of gas processing and sales unit of, of Adnoc. So it's not producing the gas itself, but it's taking gas that Adnoc produces and it's extracting valuable products from it. And then the remaining gas it's selling either to the domestic market or it's exporting it. Um, the world is desperate for gas right now, particularly because of the cutoff of Russian gas in Europe. Europe has been trying to find supplies from elsewhere. That means everybody else has to replace uh, supplies. The whole supply system is shuffled around. So Adnoc Gas is exporting some of that gas internationally. It would expand that, that, that those exports a bit later this decade. Um, so that makes it very profitable and also very strategic. And we know that Adnoc has just sent its um, first, I think, LNG um, shipment over to Germany. How much of that gap could Adnoc fill, in your, in your opinion? Yeah, so, so Adnoc Gas uh, currently uh, is exporting from, from one facility in, in the Gulf um, and exporting about 10 billion cubic metres per, per, per year. So just in context, uh, the, the loss of Russian gas in, in Europe will amount to about 150 billion cubic metres. So you're talking about you know, 10 out of 150, which is, uh, which is, which is not nothing. So it's, 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 uh, it is an important contributor. But there's also an even larger plant being built at Fujera which will be ready probably by about 2027. Um, and that will, we expect will be transferred to Adnoc Gas when it's ready. Um, so that, that will close the, the gap even further. Where does this all fit into the UAE's energy plans, energy mix as a whole? Well, it has a very important part because obviously the UAE is expanding gas and oil production. The more oil production increases, also the more gas come, comes with it. So that, that means more gas to the domestic economy. And that gas is being used in industry. There's big plans for industrial expansion. The gas is being used to make hydrogen, which is you know is an emerging clean fuel that may, maybe again may be used in the UAE or, or exported. 
Um, so that's that's obviously uh, very important. But gas is also lower carbon fuel than oil. It's not zero carbon. Um, so adnoc gas is, is playing its part in, in the drive to net zero carbon. But it also has to find ways of using gas in more and more cleanly as we get towards that 2050 target. Which is really important, isn't it? I mean, as you say, this is this is still effectively a carbon company. What options are available to ADNOC when it comes to moving towards those net zero goals, helping the UAE with its targets? Yeah, so ADNOC gas you know, lays out its own plans and its perspectives and what it really says is we're going to get more efficient. Uh, we are going to use electricity in our operations rather than our own gas. So we're going to get electricity from the grid, which will be nuclear or solar power, which is, is then zero carbon. Um, and we will be making some fuels like hydrogen into derivatives, as, as I say, and non-carbon containing fuels. And we will be using carbon capture and storage. So when we do use the gas, we will be capturing the, the emissions and putting them back into the ground. Now, you know, th- those things are not, uh, not enough in themselves, but they're, they're big parts of the solution. And we have seen Tekka get involved a little bit um, in the Adnoc gas mix here at the launch of the IPO. Tekka, obviously, humongous hydrogen plans. How big could hydrogen become for Adnoc gas? Yeah, I mean, that was very interesting that Tekka took uh, 5% of the, uh, of the company prior to the IPO. And Tekka is one of the biggest users of Adnoc gas because it's using it in, in its power plants. Um, but it, as you say, also has big plans in hydrogen and is, uh, is, uh, is cooperating with the... Um, uh, with the UAE, UAE Hydrogen Alliance, which, which includes other companies, as, you know, as well as ADNOC, in developing hydrogen both domestically and, and internationally. Uh, you know, and, and the idea is that hydrogen will indeed become an increasingly large part of the, uh, uh, of the energy mix and, and of ADNOC's and, uh, and the UAE's energy exports. So what should retail investors be thinking about for this opportunity, Robin? I mean, you obviously are an energy expert. A lot of those buying into it uh, will not be. What do they need to be weighing up or what do they need to be thinking about in terms of Adnoc as a company? Right. So the, uh, it's not the first IPO of, uh, the, of an Adnoc company. It's the, it's the one that is closest to the, the core business of Adnoc in terms of oil and gas production. Um, so this Adnoc uh, gas IPO, um, dividend yield is it, on these figures will be it looks like it'll be something over six percent. Um, there's a growth plan so looking to grow that dividend about five five percent per year. Um, so it's, you know I, I would say a relatively low, you know, qualified this is not investment advice, but you know it's a relatively low risk stock from uh, from a well known solid company, um, and, uh, and and with a solid solid and growing dividend yield. So those are, those are I think attractive uh, uh, features for an investor. Very quickly, just 30 seconds, how common is it to have the chance to buy into um, an investment like this for, for retail investors? How often do we see this kind of investment coming up from energy companies globally? Well, you know, globally it, it happens, of course, and there are, there are plenty of listed uh, you know, energy companies. Um, but in terms of the Gulf, it's, it's you know, close to unheard of. I mean, really, you know, we had the Aramco IPO back in 2019, which, was, which, which you know, it, in its own way was, was unique. That's the first time you get access to to a national a Gulf national oil company, um, but other than that, in terms of getting access to gas in in the Gulf, there's there's nothing really. You know, the Omanis might at some point open their gas uh, infrastructure unit. Perhaps that's really kind of the only other thing, and it would certainly be much smaller than, than that. Not gas if it comes along. Uh, Robert Mills, CEO of Camar Energy, speaking to us from Herbal this morning. We appreciate your time. 
Information given on Dubai Eye 103.8 can be used to help with your background investment research. Always read the fine print and understand the potential pitfalls of any investment before you make any decision. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Something that is undoubtedly very good is the UAE and several other Arab nations signing $2 billion worth of industrial agreements. To put this into context for us, very pleased to be joined on the line by His Excellency Omar El Suwaidi, Under Secretary at the UAE Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bernie. So we have these deals signed with the UAE, with Egypt, with Jordan and Bahrain as part of an existing industrial partnership. Why does a tie-up between these four countries make sense? Well, we have uh, you know, very uh, deep and, and, and long uh, strategic partnerships uh, at the government level, uh, very close uh, bilaterals. Uh, and I think when it comes to uh, the setup that we have uh, in terms of uh, resources, the infrastructure, the market, uh, the uh, industries that are compatible, uh, again, the natural resources uh, that we have in place, uh, we thought that there is a good uh, match uh, between these countries and the industry that exists uh, between them. And uh, we've uh, worked on this uh, about uh, almost nine months ago. We started with a partnership between UAE or discussions between UAE, Egypt and, and Jordan. And shortly after, Bahrain uh, joined in. And it, uh, for us in, in UAE, it was a, a natural extension of the work that we've been doing with the new uh, strategy, the new industrial strategy, Operation 300 billion, where we looked at uh, priority sectors. We looked at the uh, imports that come into the country and trying to see how we can maybe substitute or expand the production in, in these areas. And we did a similar thing uh, for the four countries, basically. So we've got 12 agreements, $2 billion, and uh, nine different industrial projects. Let's look at the direct UAE involvement, starting with one of the most exciting projects, which is an electric car factory. What's going to happen? Yeah, so we have uh, a local company, M-Glory, that started uh, uh, their operations in Dubai last year. And they uh, linked up with uh, three companies, one in Jordan and one in, in Egypt, uh, to look at uh, expanding their manufacturing. Both countries have a big tick in uh, electrical vehicles. Uh, so there was a good uh, match between them. And, and the great thing about this, this is starting with uh, almost half a billion dollars worth of investment in the three countries. And uh, there is quite a huge value chain, a supply chain that goes into that industry that we're going to be focusing on in the next phase. So initially, it's all about uh, putting together components, starting the manufacturing lines in all three countries. Uh, but we're going to link up with other uh, industries, uh, starting with aluminum, steel, plastics, and looking at the supply chains of batteries, going back to the, the ingredients, the lithium that goes into the batteries from Jordan. So there's a lot of excitement about this project uh, not only starting that uh, car manufacturing, but also establishing an extensive uh, value chain that feeds into uh, this industry, this project. And as you mentioned, there is quite a lot of heavy industry involved here as well. We've got aluminium deals, we've got silica deals, and it's not just money coming into the UAE, it's money going out as well, hasn't it? It's investment. Yeah, so it's co-investment, joint ventures that feed into all three countries. Uh, We have uh, silica that's coming out of Jordan, so there's going to be Uh, some uh, expanded uh, manufacturing of uh, silica and magnesium 
that will feed into uh, uh, EGA, Emirates Global Aluminum's uh, aluminum production. So there's really a good match there. There's also uh, uh, two tie-ups between a Jordanian company and uh, a UAE uh, company in Dubai, uh, working on um, uh, so. Uh, well, sorry, uh, working on uh, silica metal that goes into uh, glass production. There's also a number of uh, uh, technology uh, sharing agreements between uh, pharmaceutical companies across all four uh, countries. So there's going to be uh, production in, in Dubai and in UAE. There's going to be a couple of factories uh, starting up in Bahrain, uh, sharing uh, these uh, uh, technologies in between them and, and some IP. There's also going to be some collaboration on the um, uh, level at the ministries of health, uh, ministries of health, to look at uh, how they can uh, ease uh, the movement uh, of these and acceptance of these different uh, pharmaceutical products across all four countries. What will it mean for job creation here in the UAE? So uh, we're starting initially uh, at a high level, uh, kind of a high level estimate between all these different projects. We have a total between the nine projects that we announced. We have a total of uh, 13,000 jobs, direct and indirect jobs. Uh, we haven't gotten to the exact definition of all of these uh, companies, uh, but uh, in the um, uh, projects that the uh, UAE is involved on, for instance, the car manufacturing is going to have something in the order of 4,000 jobs. So that's going to be split between uh, the three countries. Uh, we have a number of hundreds of jobs for the different projects that go into the aluminum, into the glass manufacturing and pharma. So we're uh, at a very early stage, at a very early estimate, uh, but we're looking at uh, overall uh, a number of uh, 13,000 direct and indirect jobs and something in the order of $1.6 billion in terms of GDP impact in the next uh, couple of years. Do we have the skills for these jobs? Do we need to train the skills for these jobs or do we need to import the skills? Most of the uh, initial projects uh, do have uh, the right skills. Uh, I think uh, most of them are fairly straightforward. Uh, there's going to be some advanced manufacturing that's going to go into, for example, the uh, car manufacturing. That, so that's something that not only the, the company itself is working on, but us in, in the ministry of industry and advanced technology are working with different partners. We're working with, uh, as you've heard uh, maybe recently, uh, uh, the 4IR initiative, uh, working with the 4IR uh, Champions Network, uh, bringing together uh, uh, companies, international and local companies that have done quite a lot in this advanced manufacturing and helping uh, new, new projects, uh, companies that are starting on that journey uh, to, to be as effective. Uh, just one minute left with you. You mentioned Operation 300 billion earlier, which of course was uh, announced nearly two years ago now, March 2021, to grow the amount that industry contributes to GDP from 133 billion to 300 billion, so more than doubling. Where are we in those two years? What kind of progress has already been made? So for uh, the last year, 2022, uh, our manufacturing value add has increased to about 180 billion uh, dirhams. Uh, so that's a significant uh, growth. Uh, we've also uh, grew our uh, industrial exports to about 147 billion dirhams. Uh, so we're seeing significant uh, growth. We're seeing uh, uptake and the number of projects. 
this is why this partnership is quite uh, helpful also. It fits very well with the uh, Make It in the Emirates uh, and the industrial strategy um, 300 billion, because not only does it provide additional uh, scope mm -hmm. for our uh, manufacturing and for our products, it also opens up more markets in these uh, partner, uh, partner countries and also the markets that they provide, uh, for instance, with Jordan and Egypt to both Africa and the European markets. Thank you. So uh, uh, activities here, activities in the partnership, both go towards this 300 billion strategy. Excellent. His Excellency Omar Al-Suwaidi, Undersecretary at the UAE Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology. Thank you very much. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. And talking aviation now, loads of aviation stories coming out of India over the past 24 hours involving two airlines in particular, Air India, now owned by the Tata Group, but also Emirates Airline, which is, of course, the biggest international airline operating in India at the moment. Crossing live now to India, Taran Shukla is an award-winning journalist and aviation expert. He's the correspondent for the Economic Times in India. Joins us live. Taran, good morning. Thank you for being with us. Good morning, Richard. Nice to see you. Right. Let's start, first of all, with this story about the potential code share between Air India and Emirates. You've got Mohammed Sahan of Emirates in India saying that very early stage talks have taken place. But I'm following you, Taran, on Twitter at the moment. And you say no. You say your sources are telling you that Air India has absolutely no plans to co-chair with Emirates. What's the story here? It's become a sort of a controversy here um, in the sense that the Air India uh, management hasn't liked the statement coming out of Emirates. Over the last one week, Emirates India chief has been making statements uh, on Emirates and what it plans to do in India and how while Air India will be a threat in some ways, uh, it will manage it. And during those conversations, I think the statement was made that Emirates and Air India will be are an early stage of uh, partnership in terms of code share. My understanding from my sources uh, is that there have been no such talks. And in fact, Air India does not plan to go ahead with any code shares with Emirates because there has been a lot of history behind this. Uh, if, if you notice, going back as as many as 20 years, Air India was always in government hands and it was not able to expand as furiously as a private airline would have. Emirates, uh, on the other hand, was like a great product, continues to be a great product and is uh, a choice for many Indians. But uh, now Air India, uh, which is now privatized, has gone ahead and bought like 470 planes at $70 billion dollars. And it plans to add capacity all across the world. I mean, from Europe, to US, um, Australia, so on and so forth. Uh, so it has a clear runway now for 10 years of growth. And it does not see any reason to code share with uh, Emirates, which is basically a one-stop product for a lot of Indians to go to US and Europe. If you no notice the advertising that Air India has come up over the last one year since it's been in the hands of Tata's and Singapore Airlines, it's very clear. Uh, the advertising is very in your face. It says non-stop product which basically means that the target is Emirates and the other airlines in the region, for example, Qatar and Etihad Airways, which sort of um, uh, have been, you know, have, have taken a lot of market share uh, from India over the last uh, 20 years because there were not enough carriers who were, uh, who had that kind of financial muscle to, you know, go international and take their traffic. Well, Tarun, let's hear from the new chief executive of Air India. Campbell Wilson is a New Zealand 
aviation experts. He was previously in Singapore. Now he's the CEO of Air India. He's been speaking over the past 24 hours as well. This is him on the grand plan under Tata for Air India. We are also impatient for change too. Uh, We've been working very hard over the one year since privatisation and the seven months since I came on board to map out what is our transformation plan. And as you well know, we've got a five-year program to fix the basics, build platforms for the future, and then grow to what we aspire to be, which is world-class. And he says by 2024, next year in 2025, they will start to have a world-class fleet. This is the Bloomberg take. It says Air India is trying to emerge from decades of mismanagement and challenge local rivals and international giants like, as you say, Taryn, Emirates. Air India will soon be able to fly non-stop to a range of destinations, bypassing Middle East hubs. For us here in Dubai, Tarun, that's a bit of a worry. What's your take? Yes, it actually is a little bit of a worry for Emirates. I mean, I think my understanding from people inside Emirates is that they think that at least for the next one or two years, Air India will be sort of bogged down in terms of reinventing itself under Tata and Singapore Airlines. But in the long term, obviously, it will start playing out uh, because, uh, you know, uh, Emirates has not been able to expand further in India. I was just looking at some data over the last, like, 15 years or so. Going back to 2005, the Americans, I'm sorry, the foreign airlines were um, around 70% of the Indian market share. The inbound and outbound traffic out of India was captured by them as much as 70%. And then we had these windfall rights which were given to Emirates and the likes uh, during 2005, 6, 7 onwards. And that became very controversial in India because the government auditor came up and said that, you know, Air India's interests were actually not taken care of. And instead, the government favored Emirates during that time. And as a consequence, uh, the windfall rights did not continue to pour in after that. So for the last 10 years or so, there's been like sort of a Emirates has not been able to get more rights out of India, which means um, that the government is very clear. They want to focus on building their own airlines. And like I, I, I met the Minister of Aviation, Jyotiraj Sindhya, uh, about two months back, and his statement was very clear. He said that there's a lot of pressure from the Middle Eastern countries to give more bilaterals. But uh, I'm very concerned that India's hubs are outside of India. And this was a public statement. So it's clear that the government is behind the airlines of India to push them to capture the market share. And um, I think we are going to continue to see that push, uh, especially if you notice even the deal which was announced uh, by the Tatas for Boeing and Airbus for 470 planes. Uh, you had uh, the French president, Indian Prime Minister, Prime Minister Narendra Modi, uh, French President um, Emmanuel Macron, and even Mr. Joe Biden, the President of the United States, making a statement. So there was a lot of uh, diplomatic push uh, as well behind the scenes. And one data Last point, question, Taryn. Taryn, very quickly, we're, we're short of time. We've only got about 30 seconds left. Story in the Times of India this morning, Emirates has 66,000, Emirates and Fly Dubai, 66,000 seats a week to India. They want to almost double that. Uh, 30 seconds, what are their chances of getting that? It's going to be very difficult. I mean, they, they will have to lobby really hard to get those seats. And uh, it's clear that when Air India has made its plans very clear that they want to have a non-stop product, whether they, they will be, it's going to be a big fight between Air India and Emirates going forward. Emirates market share is already down to 7% from 11% from 2014 onwards, while the Air India group is over 25% now. So we are going to see a lot of rivalry between Air India and Emirates. I guess it'll be good for the passengers, you know, who, who will probably get a better choice and sort of uh, 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 more, more uh, options uh, to, to fly. 
you will see this fight sort of escalate. Taron, great talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us live. That's the voice of Taron Shukla, award-winning journalist, aviation expert and correspondent for the Economic Times. So many aviation stories doing the rounds in India at the moment. This is the Business Breakfast, Dubai I 103.8 FM. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.